0: Hi everyone, I'm Rosanna, and this is AFL Obsessed. So I'm still stuck in moving mode and will finally be finished in just over a week. Thanks to everyone who's been checking in. I've just been working, packing during breaks, and honestly looking forward to when I can rejoin the footy community, my whole world, after we get set up the first week in September. And i think moving during this time is a bit more stressful than previous moves for me even though a move is always stressful but speaking of moves there's been a lot of action off the afl field too with sanctions as well as player and coach and team fines but we'll get to that a little later it's crazy that this festival of footy has been everything i've ever wanted but with the worst timing in the last couple of weeks, I guess that's literally 2020 for you. But luckily, I'm not missing a grand final or anything with the move itself. I've discovered a newfound addiction to audio drama podcasts, though, which I kind of stumbled on accidentally when searching for new podcasts. You guys know I love true crime along with footy pods, but this genre of audio drama is completely new to me. It's kind of like listening to a film series. So I've literally been binging them while I've been packing, and so far I've listened to Radio Rental, Blood Ties, Baraska, and now I'm on onto We're Alive, which is an audio theater for the mind that has been around since 2009. But anyway, please share any audio dramas you've enjoyed so I can add them onto the list while I'm packing. And there were a couple of days of emptiness now that the festival is over and we had a few days of break before the weekend games pick up again. The real question is how I'm going to deal once the season is really over since there's been so much footy since the restart. I'm definitely going to have major withdrawals after this season. I think we're all looking ahead to what the season will look like next year, though, because the season will extend well into October this year, so there's been speculation that a potential delay to the 2021 season is inevitable, and that next season's timeline could be pushed back with a start as late as May or June. So let's get into it and dive into the opening overture of my overall thoughts on the last week and where NYC is now. I think the most shocking news has been the wave of gun violence over the last weekend, which is just adding to additional suffering from what we're experiencing with the shutdown. And the shootings happened in every single borough. There was even a shooting on the subway platform at Grand Central Station, which is just so startling and brazen, on a Saturday at 10.30 in the morning a gunman just approached a person on the subway platform and shot him in the arm before getting away. So as for what is open now, gyms have been closed since March 16th in the city and since March 22nd statewide, and they're now fighting for a reopen. On Monday, bowling alleys reopened at 50% capacity. But due to food and alcohol restrictions on indoor dining, because we still don't have that open yet, food and beverage service is not allowed in the bowling alleys. And on Tuesday, going forward, all NYC hotels and short-term rentals are required to collect info from travelers from designated states with high infection rates before allowing them access to their rooms. So hotel and Airbnb guests have to fill out self-quarantine forms before accessing their rooms. And museums, aquariums, and other low-risk cultural arts will be allowed to reopen to the public indoors starting August 24th at 25% maximum capacity. So a few of the museums previously made announcements about their hopes to reopen, but it really depended on city dictations, and now they're going to be allowing that. As bad as it got here with the city largely still shut down, both New York and New York City now have among the lowest infection levels in the country. So within the five boroughs, daily cases have now fallen below 200, while the positive testing rate has been below 2% for more than a month now. So hopefully the worst is behind us, but I am curious about winter and how that will look. But now on to Act 1 with my game highlights for Round 12. So for the Swans versus Giants game, my favorite moment in the game was in the third quarter when the Swans were trying to find someone in the goal square, and they just kind of lobbed the ball into that section. And Zach Foote materialized out of nowhere and marked the ball and kicked his first goal. So Longmire's Young Swans came to play, and there were no injuries in that game, but the score may have felt like that for one team. In the Cats versus Power game, Tomahawk kicked six goals. He was dominant as a full-force forward for his team all game, and now is in the clear lead for the Coleman medal, which is awarded to the player that kicks the most goals during a season, during the regular season. And Tomahawk's always been an exciting player for me to watch, and one of my fave Geelong players, as you guys know. And Geelong has now thumped both top teams, Port Adelaide and St. Kilda in the kangaroos versus the lions game my favorite moment In this one-point game was Zach Bailey in the third quarter. He marked the ball and evaded four opponents while he tried to kick a goal. And he kicked a freak goal, but we found out later it was touched behind. But then six minutes later, he kicked an actual goal. So that whole kind of subplot story arc of his own was really fun to follow. And Saturday for that game marked the seventh time in the last 10 games that the Lions have kicked more behinds than goals. So that was an interesting stat, I thought. So they're not very accurate, but you can still win games that way. It's a good and a bad sign all in one, I guess. And in the D's versus the Magpies game, which was another shocker, the D's scored their best win in almost two years, and now they're in the top eight. And Petraka's goal from the pocket was really cool, and Melkshim also had a quote-unquote unique goal. <laughs> In the Dockers versus the Blues game, Fife's sleight of hand and magician move when he slipped by and was able to grab the ball out of Patty Cripps' hands was one of the coolest things I've seen, and that contentious downfield free kick as the final siren went off is definitely a memorable moment for anyone who saw of Carlton's Jack Noons, where he kicked the goal and won the game after the siren. In the Bulldogs versus the Crows game, sadly, no surprise here in terms of a result. Dogsford Aaron Naughton recorded a career best haul with his six goals from his first six kicks in, and it's just his second game back from an ankle syndesmosis injury and Easton Woods' mark of the year. And in the Saints versus Bombers game, my fave moments were probably the opening goal from... Both King and the opening goal from Walla for their teams, and also the crazy long-range kick from Saad. And in the Eagles versus the Hawks game, which was a 7th straight victory for the Eagles, Flyin' Ryan's pack mark in the first quarter followed by another mark that he took. It's just always great to see him scale the heights in the game, he's so exciting to watch. And in the Tigers versus the Suns game, the combination of Revolt, Lynch, and Choll in the forward line, a lot of teams have one key forward that they rely on, or none, <laughs> but to have multiple is kind of amazing. I mean, the teams used to have more key forwards than they do now, but because the strategy of the game has changed, we've moved away from that now. And previously in the Suns versus Essendon game, I just wanted to mention when Raul was elevated to assistant coach and all of the subsequent memes that followed that game, that had to be one of my favorite moments from the festival overall. <laughs> but what were your favorite moments from the footy festival overall, and which game are you most looking forward to in the next round this weekend? AFL Footy Obsessed at Gmail and AFL Obsessed on Twitter if you want to chat. Okay, so it's intermission, so quickly now during this time, let's just cut away to other sports. Now that the regular NBA season is over and we're on to the final series with the playoffs, they've really been interesting to watch. I don't know if you guys have been checking that out, but there's been a bunch of standout players that I haven't really noticed before, so that's been a really fun element to the game. And as for college football, the Big 10 and Pac-12 conferences, which are just a couple of the larger collegiate conferences, they announced their decisions to postpone the football season with hopes to resume play in the spring. And in baseball, there was an unwritten rule faux pas that I found really interesting if you've been following along. So if the bases are loaded and you have a big lead, as a batter, you're not supposed to swing on a 3-0 pitch when you have that lead. So the San Diego Padres and the Texas Rangers were playing, and the Padres were leading 10-3 in the top of the eighth. So the bases were loaded, and then the batter hit a home run. So we got a Grand Slam, which brought the score up to 14 to 3. So it's a baseball equivalent of don't run up the score. That's kind of why that rule is in place. But it's kind of this unwritten gentlemanly rule. And the AFL doesn't have this rule, obvi. You know, they've beaten people by 100 many times. But... In baseball, it's kind of that gentleman's agreement, and honestly, I never knew about this rule. I used to play co-ed softball. It was the highlight of my summers for many years, but you know, I haven't even heard of that incident happening, so that was just an interesting event that happened a few days ago. (laughs) And now we're on to act two, and today we're going to do a deep dive discussion about the aboriginal flag. So (laughs) backtracking and back to American sports, obviously first, because it's what I know. If you've ever attended a sport here in America, you know how proudly and passionately patriotic Americans are. We literally have our flag displayed prominently everywhere. It's something everyone visiting has noticed. A bunch of my friends from abroad have pointed it out to me. Any occasion, we're waving it. And we absolutely, on top of that, incorporate the national anthem at every single one of our games. I know for some of my friends, they've noticed how different that is. And I have to admit, for a domestic league playing domestic games, I'm not sure other countries do that, or at least I haven't seen, so maybe you can let me know. But we do play the national anthem before every game, And there's always some kind of flag unfurling where it's raised or it's waving and it's just celebrated overall. And I know I've talked about this with both Doc and Chizo previously in the Pomp and Circumstance episodes, if you haven't listened to our interview, where I've talked about just the pageantry that we have, where we'll incorporate fireworks and planes with our flag presentation sometimes. And again, it's just what we've always known, so that's just how we do it. So I was very surprised to learn previously when my boyfriend Andrew explained to me that the Aboriginal flag is privately owned, well the rights to it, and they can license it for use. So the Aboriginal flag is a beautiful flag and it's one of the officially proclaimed flags of Australia. For anyone listening who isn't familiar, the flag design is a horizontal bicolor of black on top and red on the bottom with a yellow disc in the center And the black part of the flag represents the Aboriginal people of Australia. And the yellow circle in the center represents the sun, the giver of life and protector. And the red underneath represents the red earth, the red ochre used in ceremonies and Aboriginal people's spiritual relation to the land. So the Dreamtime Round is this weekend in Darwin. So there is significance with kind of the Aboriginal flag in this moment in time. Larisha artist Harold Thomas designed the flag and was formally recognized as the rightful owner of the design in a 1997 federal court ruling. And he sold the rights exclusively to, I don't know if it's W-A-M clothing or pronounced as WAM clothing, I couldn't find that anywhere. But in November, 2018, he sold the rights exclusively to a non-indigenous company. And they own the exclusive rights, they have exclusive worldwide licensing, to the Aboriginal flag, and they hold that copyright license. And that means anyone wishing to use the flag on clothing or in physical and digital media have to ask for permission and pay a fee which I guess, again, is just something I've never heard of. So they were granted the license in November 2018. And in June 2019, it was reported that the company had demanded that Aboriginal-owned businesses stop selling clothing that featured the flag. So since owning the rights, they've issued a number of cease and desist notices to companies and even charities that are, quote-unquote, illegally using the flag. So naturally, there's been a year-long fight to regain control of the Aboriginal flag, So the flag is in a unique position as a public asset under the Flags Act and as a private asset in the Copyright Act, restricting its use. So the flag is a uniting symbol among Aboriginal communities, and without the freedom to use it, it's been said that that unity is dismantled. I mean, little kids will wear the colors because it makes them proud. So, Buddy Franklin and Michael Long have come out and contested fair use of the flag and also to be able to use it for the dreamtime round specifically this weekend and they've called for supporters specifically Michael Long has called for supporters to just be proudly waving it in the audience as they go as a spectator to watch in support of the use of the flag and the AFL has confirmed that it has been in communication with the clothing company in relation to the use of the flag. So that was just something that I found really interesting. And as someone who's obsessed, you know, I've seen that flag previously. It's just been since they acquired the rights that there's just been this kind of contention and fight just to be able to show it. it is just not something I understand coming from a place where we just proudly have that, you know, far and wide on display. And now for the curtain call and the spotlight segment, I just wanted to throw some beams on Linda Desso, who was the 29th and current governor of Victoria and also previously served as an AFL commissioner. So a little about Linda, she graduated with a Bachelor of Laws with honors from the University of Melbourne in 1973 as its youngest law graduate. In 1975, she was admitted as a barrister and solicitor of the Supreme Court of Victoria. In June 1995, Linda was appointed a judge of the Family Court of Australia, where she served for 18 years until July 2013. In 1997, as an Essendon supporter, Linda started and was the inaugural chair of the Essendon Women's Network. And she was appointed to the AFL Commission in November 2007 as the second female commissioner after Sam Mostyn, who we highlighted in Mediocre to Meteoric. She served on the commission from 2009 to 2015, and she left the commission to become the first female governor of Victoria in 2015. So here are some of her words about changing the game at the International Women's Day Forum in Australia.
1: First of all, I am a great lover of sport amongst other reasons being that it has the most amazing transformative powers. Secondly, you won't be shocked to hear that gender parity is a topic very close to my heart. Thirdly, I am proud that Victoria is the first state in Australia to have an office of women in sport and recreation. And finally, I am a great admirer of the Change Our Game campaign. I recall a question Uh, that was put to me by a judicial colleague when I was joining the AFL Commission in 2007. She said to me, using her words, how can someone, a serious judge, bother to put so much time into sport, let alone footy? Well, it was a moment when I knew we shared no common ground whatsoever. (laughs) And inside my head, where it politely remained, was the answer, how can you even ask such a question? In fact, I did try to patiently explain that sport matters in so many ways. Elite sport matters because it's just such a joy to watch. Like great art or great writing or performance of any kind, how uplifting is it for those of us who don't have the capacity that many in the room do have? How uplifting is it to watch people performing at the top of their game, whatever game it is? How inspiring as well to see the triumphs, the disappointments, the comebacks, the teamwork, and how many lessons we learn from watching.
0: So to the Honourable Linda Dasso, we say Encore! Continue to break not legs but ground in the sport and country. So now it's the after show where I'm going to just add mini details since there's no wrap up again this week. For pure class this week, shout out to Jane Eyre, who sent a book all the way from Australia, which is now my absolute favorite book. It's called The Clubs, The Complete History of Every Club in the VFL slash AFL. And it is a hardcover book. So virtual hugs to Jane Eyre. This episode is dedicated to you. (laughs) My hard passes of the week would have to be Lynch, just playing more aggressively and kind of going out there and throwing errant kind of punches. And he's just been getting fined left and right. And Maya Cech being stretchered off. He's such a great player, and you never want to see that happen in any game. And just trash this week would have to be all of the sanctions. The Swans player who had a breach because he snuck his girlfriend into quarantine with him for eight hours <laughs> before they were caught. And the junk driving incident involving Frio defender Jason Carter and a port player who had a party. So again, it's just one of those things where... I know that everyone's kind of reaching their breaking point. It's really difficult to be in isolation and quarantine, but just these breaches, I feel like, I don't want to say that they keep happening because all that's happening is fines, but some people are, you know, being suspended from games, but just the fact that they're happening at all. And I do have to say on top of that, so the Frio defender has since left. He's parted ways with Frio, but also Cam McCarthy's Parting of ways was just kind of surprising. He was told that he wasn't going to be given an extension for next season on his contract, and he decided to walk away, and that he wouldn't play the next round with Frio, or that he wouldn't be available. So I know he's interested, and he's seeking a contract for next year. But to me, I just I don't know. That doesn't look that great. I don't know if that's just a personal thing, but you know, just walking away. I don't know how that looks to other clubs and I don't know if another club is considering him because of the way that he did part ways. So those are my picks for the round. I am looking forward to the upcoming games and I'm looking forward to the upcoming round. So that's it for me. Thanks for listening and hanging around for the show. I'll have some time on stories for you next week. And stay safe and healthy, guys. Check on your friends and neighbors. We'll get through this like footy. I'm virtually hugging you always, and we'll talk footy soon.